Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I hope you're enjoying your summer. Uh, it's interesting weather, isn't it, in the summertime here in Southern California? But it's good to be with you um, this morning as we start a completely new series. And in this series, what we're going to do is take a look at Jesus' most famous sermon uh, that he delivered. In the opinion of most Christ followers and Bible scholars, even non-Christians, it ranks at the top of all sermons ever given of all time. It's, it's right at the top. It's a masterpiece. It's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And we're, we're going to get into this sermon that Jesus delivered. It's found in Matthew 5 through 7. We're going to get into it because what we want to do is get a sense of the kingdom of God, what Jesus was doing, what he uh, was trying to accomplish in um, in his core message that he gave. He would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we're going to we're going to look at what that kingdom is, is like. But before we dig into the sermon itself. I'd like to start by giving a very brief feel for what was going on in the nation and the culture and among the people that Jesus delivered the sermon to, and uh, look at some of the events of his life leading up to this. I think it'll really help us to get a grip on the context of what he was trying to communicate and help us understand his message uh, even more. But what was going on, first of all, is that Jerusalem was conquered in 63 B.C. by the Roman Empire, uh, Emperor, Roman Empire, Roman Empire, yes, they conquered. But the Emperor Pompey conquered Jerusalem in 63 B.C. And he made the Jewish kingdom of Israel a client state. So he, he took over the rule there. And the way the Roman emperors used to do this is they would install a king, a sub-ruler uh, under their authority who would rule in that region. And Pompey installed um, uh, King Herod. King Herod was hated <laughs> in this region. Um, he ruled but certainly did not have the hearts of the people. He was very shrewd, and the Romans were very shrewd in the way that they managed tensions in the territories, in the, in the nations that they um, conquered. And so uh, what, what they would do to try to avoid a potential revolt, because the Jewish people had revolted before, okay? They were hard to keep under control. So uh, what, what they would do is they would strike deals with the powerful people among the people. And so what, what they did to deal with this is they struck a deal with powerful religious leaders in Jerusalem in hopes that they might keep the revolt down, squelch the revolt. So they gave, this gave the high priest, who was a member of a, a group called, they were actually religious aristocrats. We don't have the, those so much in America, religious aristocrats. We do have Rich guys who say things, you know, who, who give messages on TV, who get a lot of money from the people that listen to them. Um, but we don't have the same kind of setting that Jesus was speaking to. The, these were uh, religious 
aristocrats with a tremendous amount of power. So the high priest uh, in the Jewish uh, nation was, was a Sadducee. Pharisees were sort of like scriptural lawyers who also had a lot of power. <laughs> they held a lot of sway over the people um, and, and became like religious slash political leaders. They weren't like spiritual leaders, but they were religious slash per, uh, political leaders. Most ordinary Jewish citizens hated this arrangement. They hated it. They despised it. They, they, they did not, uh, to say the least, value the rule of the Romans. It was very oppressive. And they were chafing under this rule, this, this arrangement. In the midst of all this, the devout Jewish person of this day was longing for a Messiah, a king to come, a promised king from their scriptures, who was promised to come and set up a government, a reign that would bring peace and joy and righteousness. Everything would be good under the reign of this king. So the Jewish folks are looking for this king to show up. And they're thinking in their mind, the king's going to show up. This Messiah is going to come and overthrow the Roman government. And then they're going to set up the rule and we're going to rule and reign and we're going to have a great time. It's going to be awesome. So this is a very brief summary of the cultural environment into which Jesus was born and lived. Um, as you know, his birth was somewhat remarkable, very remarkable, and remarkable things occurred surrounding his birth, which began to stir hope from those who knew about the events. Not, not many people knew about the miraculous events uh, in, uh, related to his birth, the virgin birth, the angels who visited to, to affirm and confirm his uh, identity as God himself and the wise men who followed. Sorry, not, not many people knew about that. So he grew up in a very out-of-the-way town as a common carpenter. So Jesus grows up, and then in his early 30s, he starts a ministry. And, and this is when people began to realize this could be the one. They start to realize this, this could be the guy. And so crowds just start following him. Throngs, the scripture says, they're just thousands of people start coming to hear him speak. And the reason they did is because things like this would happen. His cousin John the Baptist was baptizing people in the, in, in the river. And he went to, as an act of obedience, to be baptized at his baptism. A voice out of heaven says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Now, if there was social media, that'd go viral immediately. If somebody got that on video, that would. But, but the way it worked then, it was word of mouth. It starts spreading all around. And people are going, this, this, could, be, this could be the one right here. He, he, that's amazing. Didn't, didn't they say that the king that was going to come to deliver us, didn't they say he would be the son of God? Voice out of heaven, right there. This looks like the man. He's the one. People are thinking uh, that he's going to come. Because of his core message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, people are starting to think he's going to come and establish 
an earthly government. And he's going to rule as God in that earthly government. Well, along with his teaching, that happened at his baptism. Along with his teaching and his preaching of the good news about the kingdom, his sharing this message, people are being healed by him of every disease and affliction. So people started bringing those who were oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And so hope is building. You, you can kind of sense what's going on. That's the cultural backdrop, oppressive. Roman government, depressing. This man shows up who starts doing amazing things. Amazing things swirl around his life. And hope begins to build. Before everyone goes into a frenzy over him. (laughs) What Jesus does is he goes up on a mountain. He pulls a group of his most ardent followers aside. And he begins to explain to them what his kingdom is like. He, He wants to do this because it's crucial that they understand what it is and what it's not. Because they've got this idea in their mind of what it all is and what's going on. And so this is what's happening in this sermon. He's on a mountain, Sermon on the Mount. He's on a mountain. He's talking to a smaller group of followers. And he's explaining to them what it's like in his kingdom. Can you imagine the amazing opportunity to be among those followers who heard this sermon? We've, we've called this series Chance of a Lifetime. It, it was the chance of their lifetime. It, it was quite an opportunity. Chance means the possibility of something happening. That, that's what the word means. If you went to the dictionary, that's number one definition of the word chance, the possibility of something happening. That's what people are thinking. This is, look at this. We're in a bad way. This, this life really stinks, man. This is the Romans. Oh, I can't stand the Romans. They're, they're horrible and they're oppressive. And, but look, Jesus shows up and this is, this is, something could happen here. <laughs> this could, this could be building into something really good for us. So he pulls the followers aside and he, he makes sure that they understand who he is, and what what he's all about. And since we have this message, since we have this sermon, we also share in this chance of a lifetime. Because God arranged it so that, that we can get in on the movement that began back in the first century among Jesus' followers. He gives this sermon because it's vital that his followers understand what his kingdom is and what it's not. In, in clear terms, he shows his followers what they can expect. In other words, where he's going to lead them. And so we gain a tremendous amount of understanding in this sermon that he delivered. You get a feel for what it's like under Jesus' rule. Who the king is and what's important to the king shapes the life of those under his rule. For instance, if I mention Nazi Germany, Germany and Adolf Hitler, there's a picture strikes terror in many people's minds. It's hor- it was 
I would, I'm glad I didn't live under that regime, but that terror spilled over into the rest of the world. Winston Churchill, if I say the word, when he, he was a leader in his nation who rallied not only Britain, but the rest of the wor- world really to stop the movement of Adolf Hitler to conquer the world from the same era, but a very different feel under his rule. Now, it was scary times, but a tremendous amount of purpose under his reign. What about North Korea, King, Kim Jong-un? Probably didn't say that very well, I apologize. I, I wouldn't even want to be his friend because he's been executing his friends that he thinks betrays him. In his realm, you'd be terrified to make a wrong move. Sort of the same um, in, in some places of the early first century, it was that kind of terror. What if I say the word America? President Washington. That, that stirs a very different feeling in our hearts. Freedom. And a country built on principles that have made this a great place to live for hundreds of years. And hopefully for, for more in the years to come. We've had many great leaders in America since Washington, but the climate and the experience inside the country of the particular leader is is shaped by the character and decisions of that leader. A people is blessed or not by those who lead them, by those who rule them. In in this sermon, Jesus is is, is showing the followers where they will go if they follow him. If if you're considering following Jesus, then the series will really help you understand more about his kingdom and what where he's going to lead you as you follow. Jesus' kingdom isn't found on the map today. It's it's the kingdom of God Presently, right now, is the rule of God in the hearts of men and women. It's a spiritual kingdom. That's what he was setting up. That's where the people of the first century were off in their understanding of what the Messiah was going to come to do. But Jesus defines a kingdom that changes your heart and then changes the way you live. It starts in here and shows up in your words and actions. As creator, God should rightfully rule over us, and he is working uh, throughout history to make his kingdom rule a reality, both you know completely governed by him and uh, ruled by him. Uh, and when a person decides to follow Jesus and trust their life to him, they enter that kingdom in a spiritual sense. As he wraps up history, God's going to bring the kingdom into fruition, and he is actually going to rule in a geographical location. That's what we call heaven. But this will be after he wraps up history. So we're in between this time. And what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is showing us where he's going to lead us and what it's like in his kingdom. In this sermon, he lays out characteristics of his kingdom and its citizens his own values and character that shape the life of those under his rule. And he shows how following him is the chance of a lifetime for peace, for impact, for all you need and more, for freedom, for focus, and for the one and only 
thing that you really want and long for and need in life. Today, we're looking at how Jesus develops his people into peacemakers who handle relationships his way. His way is upside down from our native instincts. Look, look at the pro, front of your program or this picture here. This is the image from the series. And if you look at the front of the program, you may be able to see it more clearly. But outside the door, everything is upside down. And, and that, that really, that represents the kingdom of God because once you walk through the door and decide to follow Christ, you enter the kingdom and it's completely upside down from our native instincts. And that's what Jesus is trying to show his followers in his Sermon on the Mount. Because um, they were looking for an earthly king, earthly rule. They were looking for power, prestige. They were looking for status. Jesus' kingdom is nothing like that. It's upside down from what we normally think as most important, most valuable in, in life. And so we have to, as we come to follow Christ, we have to learn to take his perspective on what's going on in our lives and what's going on with us and the people around us. So what Jesus does is he begins the sermon by describing character traits that his true followers take on. As we read them, we understand how upside down the kingdom is. But in doing this, Jesus is showing and teaches that our character is a major factor in our happiness. Now, we tend to look outside of ourselves for happiness. Uh, we, we want our family to be a certain way, to treat us a certain way, or we want friends who do the same, who will pull along and support us the way we want them to, or success at work, or a dream house, or possessions that make us look good. Natively, we, we think a certain set of circumstances and cooperation from everybody around us will make, make us happy. That's, that's normal. But in the introduction to this sermon, in the first few verses of Matthew 5, Jesus gives a list of characteristics that bring happiness, and most of them flow out of very bad situations. Being poor in spirit. We'd, we'd think, hey, the good life is being rich in spirit. Um, mourning, grieving. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is what Jesus says. This is backwards. Blessed are those who mourn. I'd rather go to a party than a funeral. Come on. But I'm blessed if I mourn. That's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are those who, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. This, this, this is happiness. And the word blessed, blessed, carries with it, it's a rich word. It means that life is good in here. <laughs> life, things are well with me as I, as I do these things, as I choose these perspectives. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness, not a high value in our world. You know, you don't hear reporters commenting on, you know, people, yeah, this, this guy did this, he's an incredibly meek person. You know, you just don't, you don't, we don't understand. So you go through this sermon 
and you're confronted with a completely upside down approach to life. There's a clear message that he's trying to get across in this. His kind of happiness, the happiness that he gives, starts inside of you and works its way outside in the way that we view and approach life. That's that's what it means to follow Jesus, to follow him. And once you decide to follow him, your number one goal in life becomes to please him. And when you do, you're blessed. In other words, things are good with you. Life is going well in here. It's more than just peace in Scripture is more than just a lack of conflict. It's a state of well-being. It means life is, there's a sense that things are coming together in here. Whether things are out here are going together or not, in here they're coming together. So a major theme in the sermon is, uh, relates to the way his followers, Jesus makes sure that these, this smaller group of followers understands how they're supposed to view and approach relationships. This is a major source of peace or lack of it. And so he, he takes the time to make sure they understand throughout this sermon. And we're going to look at highlights of the sermon now. But in the sermon, Jesus shows that Christ-like character, character like his, reveals itself in our relationships. It shows up in the way we view and relate to people. And the more our view and approach toward others reflects Christ, the healthier our relationships are and the, and the happier we are. So this, this is crucial. That doesn't mean we have peace 24-7, but when we do everything we can to bring peace, things go better. And, and it's a growing sense of well-being as we walk through life. Here's an overview of what Jesus says about our view of others and approach to relationship. First of all, Jesus' followers are peacemakers. This is in the first part of the sermon. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Jesus' followers take an aggressive approach, and they're willing to, to pay a high price to make peace with those around them. This is what Jesus did for us. He paid a high price to make peace with God between ourselves and God. His followers are willing to do the same. So we're blessed if we're setting out to make peace. Now, we don't compromise the truth, um, and, and we don't just let people run over us in the wrong way. Sometimes we have to draw boundaries, but we're, we're working toward peace. We do all we can within the appropriate boundaries to seek peace with people around us. When we take initiative to make peace, we're showing that we're the children of God. We resemble God. We're the, we're the, the sons and daughters of God when we do that. You know, family members resemble. Um, they, they, you, you can see, oh, that, that's a smith because I can tell from a long way off that's a smith because of the way they're standing. Or you can hear a voice and, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's John Smith's kid. You know, it's the way it is. And, and this, being a peacemaker, is the way we actually resemble God. And we show that we're his children. So what does it look like to actually be a peacemaker? Well, we take steps to clear up relationships. This is another part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. 
we, we talk about this one a lot here at Church in the Valley. Because if, if there's conflict, there's struggles in a relationship, and you refuse to clear up the relationship, in other words, go and make it right with the other person, maybe you've offended them or they've offended you and they have no idea. But if you don't go and clear it up with them, ask forgiveness, give forgiveness. If you don't make a pattern of this, it's like stacking dynamite under the relationship. At some point, it's going to blow. And so Jesus says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave, leave worship right there and go get it straightened out with him. This is how important it is to clear up relationships. Jesus is saying the time for reconciliation is always right now. This is the time to get reconciled with somebody that has wronged you. Now, we, we can only do everything we can to reconcile. The other person has to choose to forgive. The other person um, needs to be gracious and accept the request for forgiveness. But we do. As far as it depends on us, Jesus' followers do everything they can to make peace with the people around them. Because when we delay this, it's like stacking dynamite. It's going to blow. Bitterness grows. Anger. Hatred. It separates us from the people that you know, God really wants us to be closest to. So we take this seriously. When there's fractures and problems in relationships, we clear it up. Because we know bitterness, anger, um, resentment, it's going to ruin relationships. It's going to ruin families, friendships. Jesus' followers go first. That's what, that's what he's saying. You go first. You take initiative to aggressively seek peace and straighten things out in relationships. Their view of others, his followers, he goes on in his, in his sermon to say that his followers make a dramatic shift in their view of the people around them. They refuse to use people for selfish reasons. This is a passage on lust where Jesus actually extends the commandment against adultery. You, you, you probably heard of the Ten Commandments and the top, top ten, you know. You shall not commit adultery is one of them. He extends the commandment against adultery to include lustful thoughts toward other people. Lustful thoughts of the heart. The reason he does that is because lust turns people in, who are highly valuable to God into objects to be used for my selfish purposes. That's what happens when you lust. People become objects. And you turn them into not less than they are, sort of like chess pieces that you move around where you want to to win and to get what you want. That's despicable to God. So Jesus, what he does is he shows that my rule is not only a set of laws out here, but my rule happens in your heart. The, the kingdom of God is the reign of God in the heart of a man or a woman. 
So this is important. The way we view people shifts completely. This is upside down. Makes completely... When you lust after anything, really, you're, the, the problem is you can turn people into to objects. You want a certain promotion, certain position. You want a certain level of income. The temptation is to sort of start trying to just roll over people, move them where you want them to do to get what you want. God wants us to treat all people with dignity, to view them with dignity, and um, we have to guard against this. This is not Jesus' way. Jesus' followers are trustworthy. This is another thing he says in the sermon. In other words, they do what they say. They let their yes be yes. If they say yes, they're going to do it. They keep their promises. He tells his followers that we, we must be people, they must be people who keep their word. God keeps his word, and so do we. Broken promises create cracks in the foundation of our relationships, and they crumble over time. So throughout the sermon, Jesus talks about this. He, he, he says that we're to keep our word. His followers keep their word, whether promises to a friend, a commitment to repay a debt, a wedding vow, uh, we're to keep our word. This gives relationships a solid foundation. And then in a radical turn, Jesus says that his followers must love even their enemies and show them kindness. Now, this is, this is disturbing, isn't it? I mean, that is disturbing. That is completely upside down. From what we want to do. You know, what, what, this, this is not normal. Matthew 5, 44 through 45. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. This seems impossible to love your enemies. Because we tend to think if I'm going to love somebody, I've got to stir up all these warm, ooey gooey feelings toward them. The word for love here that Jesus uses is a word that means you do what's best for the other person regardless of how you feel. That, that's what it means. This is, this is God's kind of love. This is what God does with, with us. I don't want what I deserve from God because that would be horrible. But what he gives me is not what I deserve. He gives me what I need. And that's what we're to turn around and do in the lives of the people around us, even our enemies. Now, they may need to be stopped. Adolf Hitler obviously needed to be stopped. There are evil people in the world, and uh, God wants us to do whatever we can to stop them in their tracks. That may be what they need. That's, that might be what needs to happen. But Jesus is saying, my focus in relating to other people is to give them what they need. They may need boundaries. If your enemies are attacking you in ways that you can draw boundaries and stop, that's probably the best thing for them. That's, that's best. But you've got to do it. You, you've got to put up the protection, which may be best for them. But what I want to do is do whatever I, I decide with a desire to do what's best for the other person, regardless. This changes you. When, you. when you come to God and you really experience his love, it changes you. 
and there's a chance, the possibility of something happening in the lives of those around you over time. This, this is the chance of a lifetime. This is completely upside down, is it not? It, it is. But it makes life very good, challenging, but very, very good if you adopt Jesus' values and perspective. Finally, Jesus' followers, take, they take ownership for their part of the problem. You know, it's easy to make a list of the flaws of the others, especially if you relate to people all the time. You start thinking about them, and you've got your list of flaws and uh, things that bother you. And when you, you make the list of the flaws, and you overlook your own. So Jesus says, this is the right viewpoint toward others. When you start thinking about others, when you start dealing with conflict with others, th- this is it. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but did not notice the log? In your own eye. So you've got a little splinter in your eye. I mean, you, you can see the little splinter in your brother's eye, someone else's eye, but you've got this big two-by-four protruding from yours. How do, you, how do you overlook that? So whenever you look at others, you think first about what is my part of the problem, and you take ownership for that. That gets me moving toward peace in my relationship. This lifestyle that Jesus describes, very foreign, upside down. It may feel and seem hard to imagine. I'd like to encourage you to read through the sermon, Matthew 5 through 7, in the next week. And ask God to speak to you through it. Because you'll, you'll be confronted, there'll be some questions that come up. And if you have questions, I'd, I'd love to, to answer those questions. You can email me info at churchinthevalley.com. If you, if you read through it and you're thinking, wow, what does this mean? I don't understand why he would say this, because there's, there's a few of those in the sermon. Um, but feel free to ask questions or bring them, put them on your card next week, whatever, as we go through this series. I, I really hope that you get a sense of, of Jesus' leadership, his rule, and how he wants us to relate differently and how he wants us to live differently and the blessing that brings as we choose to do that. We're going to explore what life looks like in his kingdom over the next several weeks, so I hope, hope you'll join us. I'd like to wrap up the message today by asking you, if you would, first of all, asking the band to come up and uh, join me on stage here. And I'd like to ask you, if you'd take out your connection card and... Complete anything you haven't had a chance to fill out on that card uh, or mark one of these next steps that I'm going to suggest. You may have some other things that God's brought to mind that you want to follow up on, but here's some suggested next steps. First one, memorize Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the sons of God. They're the children of God. Uh, another step would be to read the Sermon on the Mount this week and just... Interact with it. You may go back through the list of relational uh, views, relationship views and approaches that I gave in the message and hone in on one of those. And then we're going to be starting up groups uh, soon uh, in, in September. And so begin to pray about which group you'd like to be a part of this fall. We're going to have small groups to meet during the week to gather and encourage one another and get a sense of 
how God's working in our lives so that we can be supportive and, and help one another grow in their understanding of Jesus and his kingdom as well. So those are coming up. Those are some suggested steps. And I'd like to encourage you to take one of those or another one that God's laid on your heart this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth we see. Lord Jesus, we we honor you and we thank you for the sermon that you delivered that we can gain understanding from. And I just pray that as we set out to live for you, that you would really help us to do just that. Help turn our thinking and our living upside down to match your way, not the world's way, but that we might match your way. For those of us who are considering following you, God, I pray you give understanding and help in that, that you might be honored and pleased with everything that goes on. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.